וגם אני פתאום Hello and welcome to Kolot. This is your host, Rabbi Hillel Kappenstein, director of the Columbus Community Kolel. And it's a great honor and privilege to welcome you to our next episode featuring David Becker. The topics that we're going to discuss will be incredibly relevant. In fact, we're going to entitle this one, The Gift of ADHD. Yes, you heard that right. The gift of having ADHD. This is going to be awesome. I'm telling you, you're going to want to share this with all your friends. And that actually would be a great idea because if you could share this episode or any episode with your friends, that would be awesome. Thankfully, we have listeners in, uh, I think, half a dozen countries now besides many states in, in the United States. We're being listened to around the world. So if you could also continue that, that would be awesome. But back to what we're going to be discussing today. Did you ever think that people with ADHD could be way more talented than others? Well, you're going to learn how on this episode. But there might be some other things that you have to know. And if you don't know those, there could be some trouble. So right here on Call Out, you're going to hear all of that with our guru, David Becker. But, you know, before we bring David on, I think we got to tell you a little bit about our guest. David Becker, LCSW, is passionate about and specializes in helping people of all ages live a better life with ADHD. He is a program coordinator and professor at Wurzweiler School of Social Work. When he gets bored and needs extra stimulation, he runs a popular day camp in New Jersey. David, thank you so much for joining Colote. Good morning. Hi, hello. How are you? Great to be here. It's actually an honor to be here. This is awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So we're going to get straight to the point right now. What's the gift of having ADHD? Is there any? Was I, was I telling the truth before? Is there really a gift of having ADHD? And if so, what is that? So I don't know where that really came from. No, I'm kidding. Uh, ADHD <laughs> is awesomeness. It, it is. It comes with a, a lot of challenges, a lot of hardship, and, and just a lot of things to work through and figure out. But it also gives you such, opens you up to so many amazing opportunities in life that neurotypical people unfortunately don't have. And, you know, we kind of feel bad for them, but it's okay. They can do well in other areas. Um, the, the, the child or adult with ADHD um, does possess the ability to really soar if we, can, if we can find the space for him or her to succeed. And that's what I, I hope, to, hope to talk about because I think it's so important and I'd love to, to have a chance to get this message out as much as I can. No, and, and I appreciate that. You know, it's so interesting because we're, we're, we always hear ADHD in a negative sense, like, oh, this guy, he's so ADD, or, you know, I can't focus. I have my, my ADHD or whatever is getting in the way, right? Even yeah. if, you know, like we, uh, like I once told you, I graduated, I graduated with an ADD from Harvard, but jokes aside, um, you know, I think let's, let's, let's go from the, let's start from the beginning. What is ADHD? What is it? Awesome question, because you're, you're 100% right. Um, in society, ADHD became a joke. It's, it's like, uh, yeah, it's my ADD. You're right. Everyone talks about it. For some people, it's not a joke. For some people, it's real. 
Um, we do live in the 21st century, so disclaimer that we're all a little bit ADD at this point, ADHD at this point. Um, social media society is really driving us in that direction. So if you're feeling overwhelmed and if you're feeling like life is coming at you um, really fast and, and you can't handle it, that, that also may be normal. Um, so differentiating between what's neurotypical and what's neurodivergent is really, is really important. So to get started, ADHD is uh, one, of the, one of the hardest parts about wrapping your head around it is that the, the, the most classic mistake that everyone makes. They think, I can't be ADD because I focus really well. You know, I can I do, do a great, great job of focusing. And it says attention deficit uh, disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So the truth is that people with ADHD don't have trouble focusing at all. Um, and that might come as a shock to you. They can focus just as well as, as anyone. In fact, it becomes a lot better. They can do something called hyperfocus, where they can get all in on something, all in on a project and, and see it through and do amazing. The challenge is controlling what they focus. So it's, it's nice to have that ability to really, really, really get into something and concentrate on it, but you have to be able to access it. You have to be able to get your brain to focus on it. Now, if you can't choose what you're focusing, so then you're just going to go with whatever, you know, the shiniest object in the room. That's where the old joke comes from, attention, ADHD, attention deficit, hey, donuts, right? <laughs> it makes sense because um, you're in the middle of something, right? And then all of a sudden, there's, there's a donut there, and that just grabs your attention. So basically... Um, anything that that's out there that's the shiniest object in the room is going to grab your attention and you're going to disappear into a, a world of distraction. So you may you may have an, an incredible idea, like a business idea, and you'll get all involved and start working on it. And then another idea will pop into your head and you kind of drop the first one and go on to the second one. And then you'll have another idea and pop, drop the second one, go on to the third one. Next thing you know, you're all over the place, feeling overwhelmed, getting nothing done and feeling like a failure and, and a loser. So um, primarily ADHD is, is a, a, you know, a difficulty of prioritizing focus, choosing what to focus on. If you can engage with something, you're awesome. You're, you're off to the races. You, know, you can get things done in the most incredible way, creative, out of the box. You'll come up with solutions, strategies that no one else thought of. Um, amazing problem solving, but mm. to get yourself there could be painful and torturous. It's it's a difficulty in task initiation. Just getting started with something is going to drive you crazy. So that's part one. I'd say part one of ADHD is that ability to choose what you're focusing on. I can't tell you how many parents come to me and they say, "Hey, my son can't uh, he can't possibly be ADHD because I mean you should see him with an Xbox." Um, <laughs> Ned Hallowell says, "There's no ADHD in an Xbox." Because that's exciting, it's fun, it's entertaining. So if a kid's on an Xbox, there's nobody home. You could tell them, uh, you know, uh, Johnny, the house is burning down. All right, I'll be right there. You know, like there's there's nobody home. <laughs> sure, you know, sure. Like the flames are, 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 you know, coming into the room, and and the kids on an Xbox. You can't break that focus. That's hyper focus. But choosing what to focus on, whole different story. So if you think about it in a classroom setting, when you're a kid, um, and you're trying to listen to your teacher. Uh, so if you have the type of teacher who's visual, who's exciting, who's elaborate, who's all over the map, like a, a real camp head counselor type, then you'll be great. But if you have someone who's a little more didactic, a little a little less animated, um, then anything in the room that's just going to grab your attention a little bit is going to have you disappearing and you'll lose the whole lesson. You know, okay. it, it could be as innocuous as a, a bug crawling across your book. And wow, that's really cool. How many legs does that bug have? Next thing you know, you're in bug land. You know, and you're watching a bug move in your head and uh, getting kicked out for not paying attention. So okay. that's part one. Yeah. Now, now before we get to part two, mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned about 
you, you said that we live in this generation of ADD. So does that mean that it's, you know, more, as they say, uh, uh, nurture versus nature, that it's really something in society? Or is there a genetic component to it where really the person's not so much at fault because, you know, they were, it was something that they were born with? And, you know, what can you do about that? This is a big one because um, when working with parents, you'll get this question all the time because um, parents are, are concerned. It's like, did I do something to cause this? Like, is this kind of my fault? You know, uh, yeah. I don't feel so great about my parenting skills. Uh, did I do it? So the answer is really no. You, you can't cause ADHD. There is a genetical, genetic biological component. Um, and it is part of how the, the prefrontal cortex develops. But um, there are environmental factors that play in as well. So as an example, uh, children with ADHD um, have a 90% chance of carrying some sort of ADHD, different symptoms, uh, different levels into adulthood, uh, w- which tells us that it's something that's biological. It's something you're, you're born with, and uh, it, it's likely there to stay in some way, shape, or form. Uh, so we can't fight it, but we could learn to live with it, and we could mm-hmm. learn to master uh, ADHD and, and really develop and thrive. Well, one uh, second, one second. I got I got to stop you right there. So, go ahead. If, if, if it's par- partially my ADD, but um, it, are you saying that this is not true? That oh, he has ADD, but don't worry, we don't need to treat. It. He's going to grow out of it. Are you saying that's not true? Um. So no. What? Well, kind of. He's not going to grow out of it. He'll always have it. He may not need treatment into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Lots of adults mm-hmm. with ADHD are doing just fine in many areas of their lives. Uh, even more than than those are, are are really struggling. They may be struggling at work. They may be struggling with relationships, you know, close relationships, intimate relationships, so many things that come up. Um, but just because you have ADHD as a child doesn't mean that you'll still need to be in treatment or take medication, et cetera, for the rest of your life. So does that does that help you feel a little better? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, no, but I think that people just, you know, they're so um, misinformed you you hear them throw these things around. Um, is it true that ADHD is the most underdiagnosed and overdiagnosed all at the same time? And if so, why is that? Yes, first of all, and how you pick that up? That's great. Um, yeah, <laughs> so- I listened. I, I listened to you when we spoke uh, Matzei Shabbos. Oh. <laughs> So then, then maybe it's not your ADHD. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were concentrating on the conversation or not. Yeah, ADHD yeah. tends to get underdiagnosed a lot, um, and it also gets overdiagnosed. It gets underdiagnosed for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, in children, um, there are different types of ADHD. So there's the hyperactive. Uh, there's actually three types. There's uh, hyperactive. Those are the kids who are who are fidgety. They're all over the place. They, they can't sit still. They're blurting things out. They're they're just you know those are the ones that are kind of obvious. You know, I was like, oh, he's ADHD. Like, you can spot it from a mile away. Uh, then there's inattentive. Inattentive are those are kids who struggle more with the executive function deficits, such as, um, the, you know, more of the focusing, um, being scattered, disorganized, difficulty with self-monitoring, task initiation, working memory, which hopefully we'll, we'll talk about. So, um, so you ha- and then there's a the combined type, which is, which is really a little bit of both. So if, you know, if you're inattentive, you tend, it's so much harder to catch that diagnosis. Those are the kids who they're not misbehaving in class. They're just not accomplishing anything. They're just kind of living in their own world. So, you know, they tend to get missed. That's why um, boys in, in elementary school are twice as likely as girls to be diagnosed because girls 
are much more likely to, have, to be inattentive. Uh, so they're just not thriving in school and nobody really figures it out. And, and sometimes they don't even pay attention to it because they're not causing any problems. They're just not there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why it's underdiagnosed a lot. Um, when it comes to adults, for sure, because um, we don't really we don't really do a lot as far as um, education awareness with adults. Uh, you know, the what's out there, what kind of the branding of ADHD is that it's a children's disorder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's really, oh, it's kids and adults don't really have it. Adults grow out of it. That's really the kind of the common perception. Um, we do know statistically as early as uh, 2001, uh, the, the, the diagnosis rates were 4.4% of the adult population. Uh, and I, I would tell you that's, that's significantly higher than that. You know, that's a, a really conservative estimate because we know that 11% of children are being diagnosed um, with ADHD. So if they're 90% are carrying into adulthood, that's a lot. So that's why it's the most underdiagnosed. And the reason why it's the most overdiagnosed is because there are so many things that mimic ADHD. And so we kind of think, oh, that's ADHD. And really it's not. And then we treat it as ADHD. And we're really not helping because we're, we're targeting the wrong things. So there are, there are other things, for example, a sleep disorder can mimic ADHD. Because remember, ADHD, um, people with ADHD suffer from executive function deficits. So they have a hard time managing their life. They're like flying, overwhelmed. The bills are never paid. The appointments are never made. And when they're made, they're not kept. And when they're kept, you know, they're not followed up on. It's just like life is a mess. Everyone's overwhelmed. Their houses are flying. Nothing's getting done. They can't plan. They have difficulty with time management. All of that. Um, is coming forward in adulthood. So uh, if you have a sleep disorder, then you may have an executive function issue. You can also have executive function issue without having ADHD. And then there, there are other things such as trauma, um, uh, you know, and, and various different other disorders that mimic ADHD. So it tends to be missed a lot and found too much. It's kind of complicated, mm-hmm. but, you know, by, by the end of this podcast, like hopefully we'll have it all worked out. And we'll have it all, all we'll in save our the world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So now, because I, I, we're going to have a lot of, hopefully we're going to have a lot of parents listening. Um, and I want to now go into two different, um, in, in two stages, one about adult ADHD and then children um, with ADHD had a parent, but it, everything starts with oneself, right? So let's start with the adults for a second. Um, before we get into um, what adults should do if they think they have or don't have whatever, whatever, and how they manage it. Um, can you just maybe a drop more elaborate on the genetic part? Because here's something that I'm struggling to understand. You're telling me that there's a genetic component to it and which would then mean this is something that we've had for, I don't know, hundreds of years, thousands of years. Who knows? It's something, um, it, you know, something in the brain. There's some chemistry imbalance or whatever it is. So if that is true, then why is there only a rise in cases right now, in the last, let's say, quarter century, half a century, et cetera, um, that would seem to be that it's more, you know, uh, nature, uh, sorry, nurture than nature. That's like, you know, it's our society. So is it both? Is it neither? Which one? So I'm going to I'm going to go with both. Uh, I'll tell you that we have uh, documented cases of what what is presumed to be ADHD as early as I think it's the 1700s um, back then or maybe it's the 1800s, I don't know, it's a hundred years between friends. But back then, um, really, they just thought these kids were crazy. Like, it was like, uh, these kids are nuts. They're, you know, they're, they're problematic, they're uncontrollable, and nobody really knew what to do with them. You know, over the last, I would say, uh, 50 years or so, 
when uh, scientists started doing intense research on the disorder and they kind of started to um, break it down and understand it and, and pull out the, the symptoms and develop and build a profile for it, then we started to get it. Um, several years ago, they switched it. It, it wasn't initially ADD, um, and then it, it became this ADHD with the, you know, the three types, uh, which is a more recent development. And then as awareness um, is building, more and more people are, are, it's clicking in their head. They're like, hey, maybe this is me. You know, um, every time I, I do a show like this, I get flooded with emails after that, like, wow, you were talking about me. And like, <laughs> what do I do about it? Um, yes, we are talking about you, whoever's you know, listening. I, I think by the end of this podcast, we may be talking about you. <laughs> I don't know. Well, let's see what happens. That, that's fine. But, yeah. But, there, you know, it, it's the saddest thing that there are, there are so many adults that are really struggling. And, and there is that, you know, and, and it's biological and they're blaming themselves and they just think they're no good. And, and forget it when it comes to marriage. You know, maybe we'll get into that. But I would just oh, say yeah. um, when, when, you know, uh, recent research has shown that they, they've done MRIs on on the brains of, of kids with ADHD and kids without ADHD. And what they discovered is that the prefrontal cortex, so the prefrontal cortex is in the frontal lobes, the front part of your brain. That's mm-hmm. the part of your brain that's controlling executive function. That's like the mm-hmm. CEO of your brain. Like when you need to plan something, when you need to figure something out, when you get something done, right? The director of operations really, right? That's the operation center, um, the prefrontal cortex. That's where it's, it's all at. Kids with ADHD, um, their prefrontal cortex the thickness uh, is about three years delayed. Um, that's that's pretty recent research. Uh-huh. So so you, you can really tell and understand what's going on. So if you're if you're delayed uh, in development of your prefrontal cortex, we can understand why kids with ADHD are having so much trouble um, with organization, with task initiation, with being flexible thinkers, with all the things that are going on that that they need to to cope and survive in a classroom, uh, in the playground, et cetera. They're just not they're just not there yet. Because um, with ADHD, are three to five years delayed emotionally, and that's the biggest thing. Uh, if you have a a kid who's who's twelve years old who's acting like um, a seven year old, we can now understand because intellectually he's bright, he's gifted, he's twelve. Uh, physically, he's 12, but emotionally, he's, he's acting like a seven-year-old. So when he's melting down, having tantrums, beating up kids, throwing things around, you're like getting so upset and frustrated, like act your age, he's not, you know, he's just not there yet. Uh-huh. Uh, so so that, that helps us understand, I think, I hope. Um, I, I would imagine if that's the case, telling that 12-year-old, you know, you're acting like a seven-year-old will make things only worse because to him, that's where he's holding. Is that right? right? Yeah. If you if you have like a, a powerful firecracker in your kitchen and you light it, that would be the equivalent experience, you know, because that's going to trigger an explosion. And yeah. and uh, at that point, the best my best advice for you is to just hide it under the table until <laughs> until it's over, um, because there's not much you can do in that space. But to, to to wrap back to the nature versus nurture, you're correct. When 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 you get to adulthood, so really what what researchers are finding now is that symptoms will wax and wane and a lot of it will depend on your environment and what's going on so um you know for example in a a marriage what you'll find is that you know things might be going swimmingly until the kids come and then all of a sudden you know when when you start having children and we're dealing with uh carpools drop-offs pickups um briefcase packing you know bedtime wake up all that is just overwhelming and then you have someone who's suddenly really not functioning as a parent or as a spouse. 
So, um, so yes, correct, that the environment does play a, a, an important role in how the symptoms will come out. But the biological component is certainly there. You, um, you referenced once in another um, podcast that the, um, of course, when it comes to children, I, know we're, we're, I just realized we're going out of order, but once we're in the middle of this. Um, well, this, this is the ADHD. That's right. The fla- flavor I, of the I show. Feel like, I feel like we should model what it's like to be right, all, over exactly. the place, all over the map. And yeah, so wherever <laughs> you want to go, let's do right. it. Let's do it. <laughs> so you said on another show um, that, and you quoted, I think, uh, our Rebbe, Rabbi Elephant, who, by the way, I told him when uh, that, that I was having you. Um, and he's, you know, he, he, uh, he was very happy to hear that. Um, I wasn't so happy uh, about the response when I asked him if he would come on, but that'll be another episode, uh, another conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah <laughs> but jokes aside, you said that you quoted him about, you know, parents not having um, the proper um, recognition of how powerful, how like almost godlike they are to their children. Um, the, even though children will never admit it, um, generally speaking, but not mine, <laughs> You're right. Not ours. Exactly. Same here. But um, if that's the case, is it possible that a child could have all the, you know, he, the, the, the cards are it's stacked against him. He has all the genetic reasons to be real ADHD and have a lot of disorders. But his parents are just such warm and loving people. Um, not perfect, but the home is just such a happy home that a lot of the um, negative effects of ADHD are just never brought to the front because um, it, they were never triggered. Is there, is there such a concept? Um, certainly, um, certainly there, you know, if, if a kid grows up in an authoritative environment, that's warm, that's loving, that's nurturing, um, he'll do better than if the environment is, is uh, less structured, more chaotic. Kids, kids with ADHD do amazingly well when there's routine, when everything is mm-hmm. predictable, when they can understand because they do get overwhelmed very easily. So if you have parents who um, are not the ADHD type, which is less likely, uh, they'll do better. But that'll be in the home environment. But it, you may have a kid who can do well in the home environment because it's kind of working for him or her. And then in school, it'll be a disaster. And that may even work well some years and be a disaster other years, depending on on the teacher. Because remember, kids with ADHD will do great if you can hold their attention, if there's something mm-hmm. exciting going on. Mm-hmm. So they'll have a year where they have an amazing teacher. I'll be like, there's nothing wrong with this kid. He does, he, he or she, he does great. You know, they're getting great marks, doing, doing amazing in class. They're engaged, they're with it, they're involved, they're attentive. And then the next year, I'll be like, they fell off the map. Mm-hmm. And, and how, do, how do we help this kid? So yes, parents have a, have a crucial role to play. Um, I'll tell you a, a statistic that's a little bit mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. Um, if a parent has ADHD, then there's a 50% chance that one, uh, there's that you know, up to half of their children will have ADHD. And if a kid has ADHD, it's about 38% chance that the, one or both parents will be ADHD. So there's a strong genetic link that's multi-generational. Now what happens is you have a parent who's struggling with ADHD and has difficulty being a consistent parent. The only consistent thing is that they're consistently inconsistent. So you have, you have an inconsistent parent for a kid who needs consistency. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's really going to be the key to treatment when we get there is to, to help the parent so that the parent can help the child. Okay. Just like on the airplanes, you got to put the oxygen mask on yourself. Or you go to someone else. Okay. So before we get to treatment, that. before we get to treatment, I want to go to parents. Um, what does an ADHD 
um, adult look like um, in, in terms of what the challenges are? I mean, obviously, you know, you say, uh, you know, staying on task um, in work. So, you know, to be honest, Nunu, like you, let's say I have a secretary that could do that or um, as long as it gets done, who cares if it's today or tomorrow? It gets done before the deadline. I might rush before the deadline. Who cares? I don't it doesn't I'm not I'm not changing my MO for that. Um, yeah. And even though I could be more, uh, you know, way more successful if I were, but it's fine. You know, putting all that aside, what about the house? Because it's hard to outsource um, relationships inside. Your really, home. really great. Uh, it depends. Before we talk about marriage, let's just talk about uh, let's talk about jobs and the, and the house. Um, uh-huh. In the house, really, it depends which spouse is ADHD. Um, if it's the husband, then uh, the wife is going to be completely miserable. Uh, but the house may function because uh, generally, uh, not stereotyping, but generally the wife will be running the house. Um, if it's the husband, uh, who's, if it's the wife who's ADHD, or if they're both ADHD, then we have chaos. You know, then, then you're going to have a situation where, like, the laundry is never done, you know, dinner is never ready, the kids are all over the place, you know, et cetera. And that's where you'll have a real breakdown. That's, that's within the context of the home. And really, it's because of the executive function struggles. You know, it, it's difficulty with organizing. Running a, running a family is, is like running a company. You know, it's no different. It's a lot of work in, in today's society. It just, just shopping preemptive is, is overwhelming, right? And that's, that's for the first kid you're shopping for. Um, I don't know where you live in Lakewood, if you go to uh, a shoe store this week or next week or any week between now and Pesach, good luck. I mean, it's like an eight hour line to get the person to bring one pair of shoes, which doesn't fit. And now you're stuck for another eight hours. So it's almost like you can camp out the night before and be the first person in the door. And people, I think, are really up to doing that. So um, you can imagine how overwhelming life would be at home. Um, In the workforce, it really also depends on on what kind of job you have. Um, If you if someone with ADHD goes into accounting, um, I, I almost put them on a suicide watch because they're just going to, you know, be bored and overwhelmed. And, and not not everyone, if there's an ADHD accountant out there watching this is doing well, then power to you. That's amazing. You figured it out. Because some people did figure it out. And they're doing great. And some people really love numbers. Okay. But if they're in a job that plays to their skill set, they'll do really well or can do really well if they figure things out. If they're in a job that really doesn't, you know, a job that's more monotonous, you know, more working with spreadsheets, you know, a, a little more on the boring end, not great. If you're in a, an exciting, fast-paced um, job that involves people and going places, I don't know, I have a friend who's, who's, who's a, a real estate property manager, and he does amazingly well because he's all over the place. He's driving, he's going, he's talking, he's, he's, he's hacking, he's busy with the township, the building department, the codes, the tenants going to court, evicting people. It's a blast. He's always on the move. People with ADHD feel like they have a motor inside of them that needs to be fed. It's always going, right? The motor never stops. So if you're in the type of job that gives you that level of stimulation, it'll be great. But you mentioned another important point. That is that there are some people who are highly, highly successful, the CEO type with ADHD, who are doing fine. And when you talk to them, you'll figure out why. It's because like you said, they're outsourcing their executive function. So they're bright people. They know what they're good at. They're good at the creative thinking, the leadership, working with people, leading the company, coming up with new strategies, new ideas, opening new branches, everything that's a dopamine hit, right? They're just, they're constantly stimulated. They're, they're just going and going and going better than anyone else can. 
Um, and then when it comes to scheduling appointments, they have a, you know, they have a secretary schedule for them. They have an executive assistant who's planning their day and keeping them focused and on track because otherwise they'd be completely lost. I always say, uh-huh. that, you know, I don't do my own scheduling and booking in my private practice because I know that if I would, um, I'd have, you know, six people waiting in the waiting room, you know, at the same time because they all came at the same time. And I'd be in flower on vacation. So <laughs> I know that's something that I can't handle and therefore I outsource it. I externalize it. Um, that's learning how to live, but that's that's a challenge in, in the in the work environment, in the job force, and also in the home. Do you want to talk about marriage? Yeah, I'll just say um, it is interesting. Before we get to marriage, last year we had Ira Zlotowicz come on our program and talk a little bit about that, and he said something very interesting. That all, he said that CEOs, um, typically speaking, not always and not generalizing, but many of them, if not most, are very disorganized. Um, they're just they're always thinking and they can't keep up with themselves, but they're so progressive in, um, in entrepreneurialism. They just have the, they, he said the good ones know just to have someone counter them and take care of all the other stuff instead of trying to change themselves um, and who they are. Now, I don't know if that's exactly what you're saying, but it does seem well, to be a consensus. What I'm saying is that leaders of organizations um, tend to be uh, something about successful organizations like Iris our, our is. Yeah. Um, uh, whichever organization he's up to now, but leaders <laughs> of, of organizations. Deparency, I think. Yeah, yeah deparency. Um, yeah, you can close for $1,600 or something. Right, right, no right. idea what that means. Right, um, right. But uh, I, I guess it's uh, good marketing because I know that. It's, you know, it took sure. me 12 years to learn about Geico's uh, 15% thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still stuck on uh, 877 cards for kids. That will never come out of my head. Uh-huh. Um, but there is an ADHD implication there talk about it later uh, if, if we remember uh, but yeah leaders of organizations are great because they're creative they're out of the box thinkers they, they're problem solvers they know how to figure things out when everyone else has given up and they're still going and and at three in the morning they have tons of energy you know so they're just going they're developing they're building they're growing and the ones that are successful uh, you, you can test me on this the ones that are successful are the ones who figured out how to manage the executive function deficits by outsourcing it well, and, and that's and, and that's really what I want to clarify before we get to the marriage part. Is outsourcing learning how to deal with it or just avoiding the problem or both? So it's really both. It's really both. So, you know, it's learning. Everyone with ADHD is going to figure these things out differently. Um, some people do well with, with um, task management apps, right? Uh, so, you know, they have endless apps that, that are intended to help you run your life, right? It's intended to help you organize. Now, the difference between a neurotypical person and a neurodivergent person, I mean, someone with ADHD, is that the person with ADHD, this is what's going to happen, okay? I'm going to predict out the pattern for you. Ready? Okay. Buckle up. Here we go. So a guy with ADHD is going to, you know, he's going to be at work, right? He's going to be working on a spreadsheet. And then it's going to pop up. And the pop up is going to say, I don't know, any dot do is going to change your life because it will help you organize. You're never going to forget anything. Again, it integrates with your email. Incredible. It's be like, wow, this is amazing. This is going to change my life. I finally got that hack that's going to save me. So then he's going to quickly download it on his phone, start playing with it. A half hour later, he'll remember that he was in the middle of a spreadsheet. But okay, he's in the middle of any dot do. He's really excited. He starts putting in everything he remembers that he has to do for the next three days. It's all there. He, 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 by the time he, he leaves work that day, having completely forgotten the spreadsheet, which has a deadline for the next morning. But okay, um, he's flying high. I got this. You know, I got this organized. I'm ready to go. And, you know, it will probably hold for about, about a week. Um, and, and he'll feel great. But then it will fall apart. The reason it will fall apart is because uh, it was exciting at first. It gave him that dopamine. Hey, he felt good. He was organized. He got things together. And then... 
over time it got a little bit boring and boring is death for people with ADHD. Right. Um, so it's like, okay, after a few days, I'm done. And then the problem with these apps are you have to constantly feed them, right? An app is only as good as the information you're feeding it. But if feeding it takes work, so now we have a task initiation problem. I got to get myself to keep feeding the app. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I start to feel a little overwhelmed, I'm too overwhelmed to deal with feeding the app. I got to, yeah. I'm dealing with whatever crisis is coming my way. So some people do well with different types of apps or systems or planners or calendars. And some people with ADHD don't relate to it because they're like, okay, I'll, I'll try it. And then 17 task management apps later, they realize that um, task management apps don't really work for me. So for those people, they may need more help with, with a, a human being who, who's actually you know, sticking with them and following them around. For other people, they'll find a task management app that works, and then they'll go around telling the world, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, any.do is the greatest task management app for people with ADHD, and everyone should sign up, right? And then everyone will sign up, of course, because it sounds fun and exciting and interesting. And then in a week later, they'll all be on to the next thing. So, so the answer is really a combination of both. Like you need to find what works for you. Everyone is going to build their own manual. Some, some people do this well with the help of an ADHD coach, but uh-huh. build your own manual for, for which hacks work for you, you know, and then, and then over time, you really get better at it. You'll find things, you'll find tips, you'll find tools, you'll find mm-hmm. something that helps you. I'll give you an example. Um, working memory. We don't really t- touch on this yet, but people, people with ADHD struggle a lot with working memory which means that they can't hold many things in their memory. If you think of like uh, um, the example I use is a, a whiteboard, right? You're in school, you have a whiteboard. Thank God we got rid of chalkboards so we don't have to do with the scratching fingernails, but you have a whiteboard, right? And on the whiteboard, that's, you know, you're writing down all the things you have to do, right? And you have a huge whiteboard. It's filling, you know, most of the wall and you write down all the things you have to do and now it's full. So all your tasks are up there. This is great, but it's full. And now something else comes in. So, you don't have really have much of a choice. You just erase one thing and put that on. Okay. So that's like a neurotypical way to live life. You have a, this huge whiteboard in your brain where you're keeping track of everything that you're talking about and dealing with and all your tasks. And um, it's working really well. Now, what if you shrink that whiteboard to let's say the size of a post-it note? So it can hold about, uh, I don't know, one thing, maybe two, right? So, you know, you write, you start writing tasks on it and then more tasks are coming in, coming in, coming in, coming in. So what happens to all the tasks that you're writing? They're gone. They don't exist. They're not there unless something triggers you to remember them. So th- this is what happens to people with ADHD. That's why we're, th- we're always losing things. Um, if you're ADHD and you're on a phone call, right? And then you get a click. I don't know. Let's say your wife clicks in. So you tell your boss, I'll be back in, in, in 10 seconds. Let me just you know, tell my wife that I'll call her back. And your wife says, oh, but can you stand here? And get into a conversation with your wife. You may completely forget that the other person is on the phone. Right, because that 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 wiped from your working memory, right? So you can't hold so many things at once. And then, like twenty minutes later, you like hang up with your wife, and your irate boss is, you know, patiently or impatiently waiting. And you're like, oh my god, you know, like I forgot, you know. And that will keep happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, talk about taking out the garbage, right? Do you take out the garbage? Uh, personal question. Yes, I do. I do. Okay, I'm very proud it's of amazing. That. So when you take out the garbage, right? Does this? Do you ever have this experience of? You know, you, you take the garbage bag, you bring it out to the dumpster, um, and then you go about your day and completely forget to put a new bag in the can. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Me personally? No. But yeah, I can imagine okay. that. Okay. Awesome. So you're, you're not diagnosable as of yet. Well, but, or, or just not from this, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone with ADHD, right? This, is, this would be classic. You take the garbage bag out, you bring it to the dumpster, right? So you have this task in your brain, put a new bag in, right? 
But on the way to the dumpster, you meet your neighbor, okay? And he starts talking to you, task gone. So you come back in and you don't even remember that, that you didn't put a bag in, right? Of course not. Why would you remember? It's gone. You're on to the next thing. Uh, of course, this is Murphy's law of ADHD. Your wife is going to come with, you know, the salad, the leftover salad bowl from the meal, that big pile of glorified with, with, with dressing on it, with dressing, right? and dump it in the bag, and then and be like, again, this is the seventh time this month that you didn't put a garbage bag in, right? Okay, so one possible solution would be to put the bag in before you leave the house, right? Uh-huh. That would be just a simple hack to kind of reverse the script. So for some people with ADHD, they might get themselves into the habit. Anything's a habit, you're okay. Like once it's a habit, you're good. They might get themselves into the habit of putting the bag in and then we solve this problem, okay? So example of a hack. If you wanna know, by the way, how to diagnose ADHD, um, just find the people whose umbrellas are left, you know, in the in the shul building, in the coat room. <laughs> because what happened, it was raining when they came in. So they, they, you know, they had the umbrella, they put it down, you know, and as soon as they walked in, completely forgot that they had an umbrella. Now, if it's raining when they go out, that will prompt their memory. Because, uh-huh. Oh, where did I put the umbrella? Then they'll start searching for 15 minutes. Is it, you know, where's, you know, there's piles of umbrellas. But if nothing prompts them to remember it, it's gone from their brain. They'll lose it, they'll, you know, and they'll buy 15, 16 umbrellas a year as many as many times as it rains because each time they'll lose umbrella. At one point, I stopped, um, I used to put little stickers uh, on my umbrellas with my name, you know, they print those labels, yeah, yeah, yeah. my phone number, but it got really embarrassing, you know, because, you know, how many times can you get a call? Um, by the way, you know, like some well-meaning good Samaritan, your, your umbrella, you left your umbrella and I'm like, don't call me. I don't want it. <laughs> Or, or the credit card at the gas station, right? You give, the, uh-huh. you give your credit card to the gas station guy, right? And, or you put it in self-serve in New York. You put you put in the in the machine. How in the world are you going to remember? Your working memory is not holding, right? So you're not remembering that the card is there. And you drive off the card. And then you're getting 15 calls from the credit card guys, you know, uh-huh. from every station in town. You left your card here, right? And then it becomes a joke. Right. And then you have to get a new credit card because someone else tried using it. And then, you have to, and then you forget to update all your things, which are an automatic payment with the credit card. Exactly. That has that spiral. So this, is a, this is a downward spiral. Of, right. Of, right. Of now, but, but what do you tell people not to leave their, for, their for, forget their umbrellas and shore credit cards at the gas station? What, what's the, you know, I like the garbage bag trick, but what do you do so with the, the other stuff? I recently heard, heard a great, a great um, uh, memory tip, which is uh, it's Ohio, which stands for only handle it once. Which really means that that you know, I know a bill comes in, pay it if you can. Only handle things once because the second you put it down, it's gone. It's gone from your memory, which is why people they you lose their keys a lot. So if you're going to a gas station, you put the card in, put put it back in your wallet. Only handle it once. If you leave yourself open to having to remember to come back and get it, you're going. You're, you're, you know, I, I, I feel bad for you. Um, with keys, right? That's the most common thing. People that they are always losing their keys, and you'll find your keys in the strangest places, in the refrigerator, <laughs> the freezer, you know, wherever you work, because you know you're not focusing on your keys, and you put your keys down, and you put your keys down, and and then like they're gone, and you're searching for your keys, right? So the good news is now we have, uh, you know, uh, what's called the Apple uh, Ear, um, Apple, uh, you know. Apple. No, there's the, I forgot what it's called, the Apple Air thing that, or tile, right? The tiles that you attach to your keys. And now you have a Bluetooth on the keys so that if you lose your keys, you can, you can find it on your phone and it will ring, which is great, right? People, they usually do great with tiles, but here's the problem. You have to have your phone to find your your keys. And even if you have your phone and your keys, you also have to have actually installed the app 
right? And that's just putting the thing on your keychain. You have to install the app and then program the app. And then, you know, when the battery dies, remember to replace it. So, you know, nothing is foolproof. And, and this is a lifetime of work. You know, it's figuring out what works for you and making it work best. Okay, this is awesome. I love that. Now let's get to marriage for a second. Um, because I would imagine that if one spouse has an expectation because they don't have ADHD or they've managed or whatever, but the other one does, that could probably, uh, you know, get a little sticky when they have all these expectations that are always consistently not being met. Can you walk us through the ADHD yeah. marriage, the problems, and then the solutions? So you're sure you want to do this? Um Second. Let's okay, let's go. Everyone stop. Give me a five-star review now and then right. continue. But yeah, go on. Of course we okay, want to do okay, that. Here we that's go. what we do here. Let's have marriage. This is big. Okay, this is really big. Um let's understand, I guess, first first and foremost, that people with ADHD, right? Well, we said before, they have this motor, right? Which means they have an endless need for need for dopamine. And it's kind of lacking in their brain, right? It's not, you know, they don't they don't have it in the level that they need to which is what medication addresses. So they need, they need excitement, they need action, they need fun, right? And that's how they get to that state of hyper-focus, which can be so helpful. Um, so now a guy meets a girl and he really likes her and everything's going well, they get engaged. And engagement is amazing. Being engaged to a guy with ADHD is the most incredible experience. And it makes sense. It's because um, they're getting a ton of dopamine from the relationship, right? It's exciting. It's fun. It's new. Uh, so ADHD uh, guy or girl, it doesn't really matter, will lavish attention on his fiance, right? They're going to, he's going to take care of her. He's going to write her notes. He's going to surprise her with a million things. They'll have the most incredible proposals ever because they're so creative out of the box thinkers. They're the guys in the helicopters, you know, over Niagara Falls and like, you know, they got the Canadian government to write, will you marry me with the lights on the water? It's unbelievable. So engagement's going to go really, really well. The problems start after they get married because then what happens is there's a slowdown in, the, in, in what he's getting out of the relationship. Um, so now you're in a space where he's paying less attention and he's really kind of moved on to other exciting things, whatever's popping up in his life, at work, at school, wherever, you know, wherever he is. Um, this leaves the spouse, I'll just stick with husband and wife, it's more, you know, it'll be easier. This will leave the life, wife feeling uncared for, neglected, uh, unattractive, like I'm just not important to him anymore. Like it was so amazing and now he's, he, he's kind of done with me. Sadly, um, uh, couples or relationships that have one or both spouses with ADHD are twice as likely to end in divorce as the neurotypical population. And it makes sense. It's because this is the pattern. This is what happens in the marriage. So the, the, the spouse or what's called the wife starts to feel like he doesn't really care about me anymore. Um, and he's not interested in me. So that creates a rift in the relationship. And now come, comes the executive function struggles because then they start having children. And when they start having children, all of a sudden the wife is managing the entire household. She's doing all the tasks that he should be doing. He's reliably unreliable. He's consistently inconsistent. He, he's, there's nobody home. So she can't count on him to do the things that she needs. She can't even count on him to bring home milk when she needs it for supper, right? Because he's going to forget and buy gum. Right. He's just going to he's just going to you know lose it in his working memory. So now she's shouldering the entire burden of the household. He's out having fun and partying and, and going on trips and he gets to be the fun guy. 
right? Like he, he's the one who's, as the kids are growing, she's the annoying mother, you know, who's just trying to keep them dressed you know, and fed and, and at school. And he's, he's off the six flags, right? He's having fun. So then she's building resentment, right? And when she's building resentment, she starts to be very critical of him. So she doesn't feel good about herself anymore. Now she feels like, I'm a bad person. I'm just turning into a witch. I'm, I became this nag, right? Because she's just driving him crazy and bothering him to come home, come home, come home. Do you really need to stay at work till seven o'clock? Like, is there a reason why you can't come at five? Like, what are you doing between five and seven? Like, do you really have meetings at 5.30? And are you really on conference calls? Or is that just like to avoid going home? And who could blame him for not wanting to come home and get hollered at by her because he left his socks on the floor again? You know, and now there's like a pile of sound size of Mount Rushmore of socks and he has no socks. Right. Um, except for the 30 pairs in his drawer that he hasn't worn in 10 years because he doesn't wear them anymore. I never remember to throw them out. Um, so so you can see how this is spiraling. So he, he's he's done. She's done. He doesn't feel good about himself because she's just nagging him. It becomes almost like a parent child relationship where they go from being in a you know emotional relationship to her kind of being the parent trying to motivate him to pay attention to her and motivate him to help out in the house and motivate him to get things done. And he's a child, right? Or vice versa, it can go either way. And now you have tension, you have friction, uh, you know, and, and you have a, a, you know, a situation that's ripe for explosion. Remember, if one or both parents is ADHD, you're probably going to have a kid who's ADHD as well, or up to half of your children. So now the whole family system is in, you know, is in chaos. Um, they might have a lot of fun at times, but there's also going to be a lot of conflict, a lot of stress, and and that filters into the entire environment. You don't want to be in their house, Arab Shabbos, two hours before Shkia, that's for sure. Right. Definitely, definitely um, not the space you want to be, but Purim is going to be a lot of fun there. Uh-huh. Um, cleaning uh-huh. up after Purim, not so much. He's going to be sprawled out on the couch, and she's going to be up till four in the morning cleaning. Uh-huh. But yeah, um, now if, if both you know, both spouses have ADHD. It's a whole different story. But keep in mind one more thing. People with ADHD have something, you know, tend to, this is not, there, there's not so much research on this. It's more anecdotal, but a lot of, a lot of talk about it in the community um, where people with ADHD have something called rejection sensitivity. Um, there's, uh, I think, Dr. Bill Dodson pioneered the term re- rejection sensitivity dysphoria or RSD, which means that they feel, they're extremely sensitive to feeling, uh, feeling rejected. Um, almost to the extent they describe it as being like physically painful. Like they feel like someone hurt them when they feel criticized. So um, put that into the dynamic where you have a spouse who's highly critical and a nag and, and another spouse who's extremely defensive because it, it hits him at the core. And now you have a relationship that's, that's really, really in distress. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of um, the bad part of, you know, of, of a marriage with ADHD. But the good part is yeah. that, that, when it's dealt with properly, with treatment, with therapy, et cetera, with, with ADHD coaching, uh, you know, all the different layers of support, then we have a marriage that can be really beautiful um, and, and, and really flourish and thrive because all the, the reasons why she married him or he married her is because he is that fun, creative, spunky, out-of-the-box guy who makes things really fun and exciting, right? That's, that's how it all began, that's still there. It's just, you know, it just needs a lot of work to bring it back. But when, when, uh, when there's awareness and, and it's really half the battle is the non-ADHD spouse understanding to the, to, to the best they can, because you can't really understand it unless you live it, but to the best they can understanding it and starting to see things as being symptoms, you know, not, not, 
personality defects, um, now we can start to rebuild the relationship. We can start to figure out how to manage the house and we can start to get to a better, healthier space. There's a lot of hope um, when, when we get there. But unfortunately, so many families, they just don't, they don't realize it. They don't, mm-hmm. the, you know, they don't, they don't even realize it's ADHD. ADHD is like the joke. Oh, it's my ADHD, but it is. And like when they can get that and connect to it and relate to it and understand and do the work and read up on it and learn about it, um, there's a there's a brilliantly bright future because they are an awesome couple. And they could and they could reach the highs that the neurotypical people can't reach because they're just channeling all all that energy. Okay, so that's part of the the sad life of the neurotypicals. Right, exactly, exactly. And to feel bad for them, you know. Yeah, you gotta feel bad for them. That's right. (laughs) Do a podcast Uh, with like a neurotypical person who can, you know, hopefully pump things up a little. Well, I think the whole podcast industry is for ADHD people because you could just stop, go, stop, go, switch podcasts. Um, You know, the whole thing is is very – but I want to now – I want to get to – I want to get to – let's let's talk about medication for a second because it carries this – you know, stigma that people would be very embarrassed to, um, uh, you know, to, to say, to, to get an evaluation, to then go ahead and do it and then take it. And then maybe not even you know, want to tell people, whatever it is, um, is there what to be embarrassed about or no, it's just, you know, you take a Tylenol when you have a headache. So just, it's really the same thing, just this you have to do every day and you'll be fine. Like how, how do you understand um, the okay. whole medicine? And then my second question on that is what are the, pros and cons if someone makes that decision okay so this is a big one probably the most important question we'll talk about because um we know that medication for example is effective um in about 85 percent of the time with kids um and really really helps with adhd mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but you're right there's a lot of resistance to medication just the word medication it's not it's not a friendly word you know right. it's something that um, that has connotations of, uh, you know, of uh, difficult illness. And right, it, controlled substance or, yeah. It, it kind of makes sense. So, you're, so, so let's start with, with, with what you said. You're right. Um, unfortunately, uh, when it comes to mental health issues, people see them differently than, than physical issues, right? We don't see, you know, if someone, um, you know, has cancer or something like that, then like, of course, there's no stigma to treatment for cancer. But if someone has a, a, a mental health issue or an emotional issue, um, there's that stigma. And I, I think we're light years ahead of where we were even five years ago, 10 years ago. I see the world changing so quickly and it's encouraging. It's amazing. You know, working with schools, with educators, it's a world of a difference. You know, even, even lots of parents are, are, are excited about medication um, because they understand what it does. Medication, um, it's like wearing glasses. You know, it, it's just, it's just like you, there's a, there's a, neurochemical deficit in your brain um, with dopamine, with norepinephrine, and we're addressing that. So it's, it's, what it's doing is it's unlocking your ability to be the best version of you. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not solving your problem. Pills don't teach skills. Um, you still, you still got to work. That's you know, something parents tell me. They're like, well, um, if I give my child medication, then it's like a crutch, right? You know, he'll, he'll never learn to live. Actually, just the opposite. He's going to have a really hard time learning to live without the medication uh-huh. because he doesn't have the ability to meet the challenges of his environment. You know, he, he, if someone's suffering from severe impulse control, he knows what to do. He just can't do what he knows, right? He's struggling uh-huh. at the point of performance. It's not, it's not a problem. He, yeah, he knows he shouldn't call out in class. 
but he can't control it. A thought comes into his head and he blurts it out before he even has a chance to put on a filter and say, hey, should I think this out? Should I not? Should, should I speak this out? Should I not? Should I call out? Should I not? It's just like a thought gone, right? It's out there before he even realizes he had the thought. And, and medication will help with that. It will slow him down just enough so that he can make a conscious decision and understand, is this appropriate or is this not? Just like all the other kids in his class, but he doesn't have that chance. Medication brings him up to the level so that now we've unlocked his ability to, to, to actually succeed in the world. Um, also, uh, parents worry about a lot about side effects. Um, and there is, you know, there are some potential side effects. But what I found more often than not is that um, kids will, parents will try medication for their children. Uh, it won't go well. And they'll just give up and move on and say, okay, medicine doesn't work. And that's the, the, the I, I guess the biggest problem that's the most frustrating that, that they're missing the, the basic understanding that we don't really know this million dollar question. We, there are so many, there are different classes of medications. There are stimulants. Um, within stimulants, there's methylphenidate, um, there's amphetamines, and then there's non-stimulants. They're all different medications, class of medications, dosages, et cetera. And we don't really have a great way to figure out which medicine is going to work for which person and at which dose, because everyone metabolizes medication differently. Mm -hmm. So it is a little bit of a trial and error process to figure out what combination of medications until you get it right. You know, it could take three months, it could take six months. And along the way, there might be some side effects while we're trying to figure this out. But so many parents give up on the process because they're like, oh, yeah, I tried medication. My kid didn't fall asleep at night. And that was the end of it. <laughs> and then I see that kid, unfortunately, as a, you know, in his late teens or, or as a 35 year old, and, and I'll say like, so did you ever, you know, and he's like, yeah, I tried medication when I, was a, when I was 10, it didn't work. And they had gone to someone who wasn't really experienced in treating ADHD and didn't really, you know, and they didn't stick with the process. So I feel like, um, yes, number one is uh, we, we know that medications can be so helpful. I will tell you, you know, can I give you some shocking statistics? Kids with, yeah, please. Uh, kids with please. ADHD uh, that doesn't get treated, their life expectancy decreases by somewhere between 13 and 25 years, depending who you ask. And the reason is because they're, they're, they're the type of, you know, they have the profile to take lots of risks. They're much more likely to get into car accidents, you know, to get into other kinds of, you know, work-related accidents, et cetera. Um, they're much less likely to take care of their health properly because they're not going to remember to take their cholesterol medication. Um, oh, which reminds me, uh, they're not going to remember to take their cholesterol medication. Um, I really have to get back on that. that you know, they're, they're not going to remember to make the doctor's appointments. They're not going to remember to go to the doctor's appointment, to do the follow-up, um, to do the testing that they're supposed to. So their life expectancy goes down. Their, their ability to earn money, I think, is decreased by somewhere around $10,000 a year last time I checked. So they make less money. Um, they're much more likely to have, you know, to, to have uh, addictions. Um, et cetera, if it's untreated. So we know, and, and Russell Barkley, who's kind of like, you know, I guess the, the real ADHD guru is certainly not me, but R Russell Barkley um, considers the ADHD medications to be neuroprotective, which means uh -huh. that his research is showing that the kids who, who take ADHD medications early, earlier on, do better academically. They do better emotionally. They have better relationships. Their mm -hmm. marriages are better. Their jobs are better. You know, their careers are better. They're earning more money. Their satisfaction is better. So that's what all the research is showing. It's just there's a lack of understanding and awareness. ADHD medications have been around for 70 years. You know, they're, they're, they're from the most safe medications and they're, they're not, they, they don't have a, a long-term effect. They have kind of in your system, out of your system. 
Mm-hmm. So you know, that's the case I would make. But you know what I what I see when I when I work with parents is there's a lot of misinformation out there and a lot of just like lack of knowledge, lack of awareness, etc. Okay, um, I want I I don't want to keep these for too long, but there's two things that we didn't get to that I really yeah. want to. You mentioned that it's really just there's a deficiency. There's something in the prefrontal cortex that there's a little delayed, and that's what's causing all this. Are there any other things besides attention? related matters that having this deficiency could um, impact, like, I don't know, anxiety or depression or anything else? Is there a correlation? And if so, can you walk us through so, that? Yeah, so, there, you know, there, there are a lot of statistics on co-occurring disorders. I think it's um, a 60% rate of comorbidity, which means that some of ADHD has a 60% chance of having some other issue going on. Um, anxiety depends on which study you look at or which meta-analysis, but somewhere, I would say somewhere between 35 and 45% chance of having anxiety. Depression is about 30%. Um, oppositional defiance disorder, this is huge. A lot of kids get diagnosed with ADHD because they're oppositional defiant, and that's, that's the clue that helps us figure it out. Um, kids with ADHD have a 60% chance of being oppositional defiant, and those are the kids who are angry, who, who are bitter, who who are anti-authority, you know, we see them as anti-authority anyway. They're the kids who do the opposite of everything you ask them. You know, like it's kind of, you need to learn to ask them the opposite so that they'll do what you want. But yeah, those, those, those difficult, aggressive, angry kids are often really struggling with ADHD and learning disabilities that are, are 15 to 25%. There's also a strong connection to um, uh, spectrum-related disorders, you know, uh, the, on the autism spectrum. So there's a lot of that which is why a, a differential diagnosis is so important. It's so important to not just like say, hey, okay, this is ADHD, let's put them on medication and, and, and go. Um, we wanna understand what's co-occurring, what's underlying, you know, what else is going on for this kid or for this adult so that we can treat everything. You know, we've kind of made, gotta mm-hmm. make sure we do that because if you treat the wrong thing, uh, you may not be so helpful. Okay, and um, what about if, some, if you, you mentioned someone who has this motor they always need to, you know, keep on constantly, constantly filling it. I mean, that's that reminds me a lot of what you hear people say when they're, you know, when they're bored, they stress eat. They just eat, eat, eat and nonstop eating. Is that re- very much related to this? And if so, well, then that creates its own set of health challenges besides everything else that they're involved with. So what, you know, what would the response be? I mean, you just tell them to just, yeah, binge on carrots. Like, what do you, how, how do you manage that part? So I'm trying to figure this out. Um, I think the best thing is to live in a white box with no food. Right. <laughs> that works for me sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because, you know, a lot has to do with impulsivity. It's really hard to control your urges. So ADHD, um, people with ADHD tend to be like the seesaw dieters type, where like some people, you know, they'll, they'll get this new diet. I don't know. Uh, Mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. diet they'll read in a, in a in Mishpacha magazine and they'll try and they'll be all into it and they'll lose 12 pounds in three weeks and, and really do amazing. And then uh, they'll swing all the way back because, you know, they have to work so hard on that impulse control for three weeks that now they're totally, you know, totally, uh, you know, in chocolate cake, buried in chocolate cake. And next thing you know, they gain double the amount of weight. Right. So it, it is, there's so much uh, about the difficulty with, controlling your impulses that gets in the way. So yeah, um, that certainly medication can help with that. Um, uh, therapy, uh, coaching, there, there are so many different strategies. I say about, about kids, um, uh, Hillary Clinton said, uh, her, in her famous book, which she didn't really make up the line and came from South Africa, she said, it takes a village to raise a child, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so I, I think it takes a planet to raise a child with ADHD. 
you know, so there, there's so much, there's so many layers of support that are needed. But when you build that scaffolding and you help a kid like that get through childhood and manage really the hardest environment, the most challenging environment, with this, which is which is school, um, they can be amazing. Like if they emerge from, from elementary school with their self-esteem intact, feeling good about themselves, feeling good about their lives, feeling their own sense of self and self-worth, sky's the limit. These kids are going to soar. They're going to do amazing. Um, they're going to host podcasts. Um, and my last and final, you, you have been so generous with your time. Um, my last question is, uh, when can Columbus, Ohio see David Becker? You had a great Ohio, uh, reference earlier. So, uh, you know, that's when I just jotted down. Oh, last question. When are you going to come to Columbus? So, uh, how do we get you out here? Um, so yeah, I can leave now, but I, I would love to, you know, I, 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 I love to, um, I, I really love uh, sharing, presenting, talking to people. Like I, it, it, for me, it's, that's my dopamine. It's energy to be on this, on this show is energy for me. Uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be wired the whole day now because, <laughs> because we had so much fun. Love um, so I'll come to Columbus. I might miss the flight. Uh, <laughs> so I'll just need to book two flights. It's no big deal. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, well, you know, definitely be in touch with my uh, executive function assistant <laughs> and be happy to happy to work that out. Awesome. This was great. I, I should let our listeners know that uh, Rabbi uh, Rib David and I uh, connected this past Shabbos in uh, was it Stanford, Connecticut. Um, and I'll tell everyone who's listening to this needs to know that um, David is the guru of ADHD um, he's sought after by so many people and I walk into the hotel and who's the one walking, who, who's waiting to greet people to help them where they are. It's, um, our very own. So you're not just a expert, not just, a um, a, a, such a qualified professional, but you're also a humble and mensch. Um, so that's something that we really much appreciate and it would be an honor to bring you out here and, uh, help all of us live better, more functioning lives whichever way it takes to get there. So thank you so much for coming on. Uh, We appreciate that. And hopefully uh, we'll make that happen soon. Love to, for you to come out and uh, much continued success and Hatzlacha with all your work and uh, looking forward to keeping in touch. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Make it a fun focused day um, or as focused as possible. Looking forward. Take care. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. To listen to all Kolot episodes and see upcoming guests, visit kolopodcast.com. We are also on all podcast players. Type in Kolot on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, and Amazon. Share with your friends and please make sure to give us a five-star review. Kolot is a project of the Columbus Community Kolel, a full-time Jewish learning center in Bexley, staffed with high-caliber Torah scholars. Ever since 1995, boys, girls, men and women from all backgrounds and affiliations have found many opportunities to connect with Torah and mitzvot at the Kolel. Whether it's a study partner, engaging lesson, or a program, the Kolel is your one-stop shop for all your Jewish learning. If you want to know how you can benefit from the Kolel, visit thekolel.org. That is T-H-E-K-O-L-L-E-L dot org and forever be inspired.